0: well good morning church and uh it's good hey dan good to see you brother you're still alive well amen amen it was it's great isn't it yeah yeah at least you got some alone time yeah amen amen well it's just like a revolving door with staff people it depends on which one's alive for the week is the ones in the office so anyway it's good to see dan glad he's hopefully getting better and uh i know many of you are playing with COVID and it's not advisable, but uh, anyway, do your best. Um, I want to ask you to get your Bibles and go to Daniel chapter 9 and talk about the insight of the ages. Now, the book of Daniel has repeatedly given us examples of God providing Daniel with prophetic insight about coming events. Uh, Some things were, you know, pretty... uh, Condensed, uh, For example, uh, he was given interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and uh, Nebuchadnezzar's coming insanity and then return to power. Daniel was also given insight about the overthrow of empires. And um, we saw these actually take place in human history exactly according to the prophecy of Daniel. And so God has given us through the book of Daniel examples of where uh, Daniel is accurately prophesying according to the word of the Lord about future events. And so that brings us to chapter 9 which has a little bit larger scope. This is a prophecy about Daniel and about the Jewish people and then the church and then the coming of Christ. And so this is telescoped out to the end of the ages. And so you can see that God has been walking us toward this, giving us little by little more and more so that we would learn to trust Him. And here He's giving us even a greater view, a larger view of the events of human history. And what we're to be reminded of over and over and over again for the book of Daniel is, is this, this very fact. God is not looking at human action and responding accordingly. That's not how God works. God decrees and He works through human means to bring about exactly His end. What He has in mind, He brings it about. He is the first cause behind all human events. Now, there's some of that that it it leaves you in a conundrum. Well, What about evil? Well, can God not remove his restraint upon evil and allow people to do exactly as they would want to do and yet curb that evil to bring about exactly the point that he wanted to bring about and the purpose that he wanted to bring about? Of course he can. And no one can fault God. Because God knows exactly what he's doing. He's all wise. And so God is not looking down through the events of human history with his, quote, foreknowledge. And then deciding, oh my, what shall I do? God's foreknowledge is based upon the fact that he's already decreed it. He's not a fortune teller. He doesn't look into a crystal ball. His foreknowledge is just a description of what he has already determined will take place. This is why prophecy works. It's not like God is predicting what humans may or may not do. It's God telling us what he's going to do through humans. And so that's what history is. Now, Daniel has been reading the Bible. He's been reading Jeremiah's prophecy again. And by the time that Daniel uh, experiences what takes place in Daniel chapter 9, he's over 80 years old. He was about 15 years old when he was kidnapped and brought to Babylon. And he, he and his friends and a great deal of the Jewish nation now have been in captivity in Babylon for all of these years. And then when the Medes and Persians came in and took over and Daniel continues uh, to live under their reign for a period of time as well. But this is back to the time of... Uh, The first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus. And so this is where uh, that change, that transition in leadership has taken place. And Daniel is now serving under a different king. But still God is, is working. And Daniel had already told the Jewish people that this transition of power was coming. And though Babylon may have looked as if it was a nation that no one could possibly ever overthrow... Daniel warned them that it was coming, and indeed it did. And so now Daniel is counting years, and he's thinking of the prophecy of Jeremiah that the, the Jews would be in captivity for 70 years, and that 70-year time period is almost up, and Daniel is beginning to pray in, with fervency and with urgency. Because he's realizing that that time period is almost up. And then what for the Jewish people? What's going to take place next? And so you see in verses 1 through 19, this first section is the longest one through these 27 verses. But you see Daniel's agonizing intercession, his prayer. Now we can't cover every point of this prayer, but I would say to you that uh, this is a model prayer from the Old Testament. And so I want us to look now at his praying now first of all in in his prayer he has this section that's the illumination of the scripture and that should be the model for every christian your praying should not start with your need your praying should start with his word let his word inform your situation and then you'll know how to pray accurately And so this is what Daniel does, the first two verses, the illumination of the scripture in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books, talking about the Old Testament, the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now... Jeremiah had made a prophecy right at the beginning of the exile. And so this prayer comes after Daniel reading of this prophetic insight. And Daniel's reading this prophecy, and Jeremiah gave it 70 years earlier, approximately 606 B.C., let's say, or maybe 605 B.C. And Daniel and his friends were transported into captivity right after that, sometime right after it. As I said, Daniel was 15 years old and the 70 years almost coming to a close now. So Daniel's in his 80s. And we know in history that somewhere around 537 B.C. or so, Cyrus will issue a decree releasing the captives. And soon after that, Israel will return to Israel. Now, can you calculate how many years it would have been between Jeremiah's prophecy and the return the actual return of the Jews to Israel during this time period well wouldn't you know it you don't have to calculate 70 years just like Jeremiah said this is verifiable in history guys we're not just talking about uh, let's have you know let's just talk religious things that may or may not be true we're talking historical fact here. And so Daniel realizes this. And he knows that the time is coming for the return. And he's wondering about. What the spiritual condition of the Jews. Because he's like you know. We got in this mess. Because we did not turn to the Lord. The last thing in the world we need. Is to go back to Israel. And not turn, return to the Lord. And by not returning to the Lord. We'll be back in the same mess again. And so he. First of all starts with the scripture. Then in verses 315 in his praying we have his confession of sin. Then I turned my face to the Lord seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. This is verse 3 with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, "O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments." We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, uh, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame, as at this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands, To which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets." All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice." And now, O Lord our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for Yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. This is Daniel confessing his own sin, but also the sins of his people. Now, let me say a word about confessing the sins of the whole people. Daniel's confession of the sins of Israel is not going to gain personal salvation for each one of the Jews. That's not how it works. What he's begging God for is to withhold his hand of discipline upon the group. Sometimes as a pastor, I pray that way for you. And I will pray, Lord, don't bring upon us what we deserve. Bring upon us what your mercy will give. Now, that doesn't mean that you personally aren't responsible for going to the Lord yourself and saying, Lord, these are my sins. Bam, 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 here's the list. And Lord, please forgive me of these things. And Lord, empower me to walk differently and to live differently. So each one of us is still individually responsible. But yet we intercede for one another. And we're asking God to bring the group to the place of repentance. And we're asking God to withhold His hand of discipline upon us and we're asking him to pour out mercy and to give his people room to repent and that's how we pray for each other in these situations secondly it is of great encouragement to know that you don't have to be sinless to be a prophet Daniel is confessing his own sin and you're thinking good grief I mean, this man has served the Lord faithfully for, you know, 70 years in a horrible environment. Daniel's surrounded by nothing but paganism. And the people of God that he does know, they're not very faithful to the Lord. Not a lot of encouragement coming his way. And yet he says to the Lord, and I have sinned. No one is sinless. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, you're not sinless. Sometimes when Christians sin, we are absolutely astounded and appalled. You know what I'm astounded by? That they didn't sin more. By God's grace, we don't do near the damage we could do. We don't sin as often as we could sin. Because by His grace and being connected to Christ, His Life is at work in us. Now, look at Daniel here in his confession of sin. You see his humility. In verse 3, he pleads for mercy. He said he was seeking by prayer and pleads for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, his humility. The fasting and sackcloth, the ashes, they don't bring about special power in prayer but they do express, or can express, humility. Now the Pharisees used these same tactics, but they were designed to express self-righteousness. But Daniel, in his case, is pleading with God for mercy. And then in his confession of sin, he's, he's transparent. And in his confession, he just says, we've sinned, in verse 5, we've done wrong. And notice he piles words upon each other in verse 5 concerning sin. The word sinned means to, in verse 5, means to miss God's standard, to have done wrong, to have fallen short of the glory of God. And then he goes on and says, in the words we've done wrong, it means to deliberately live a crooked life, to do it on purpose. Then he has the word, if you look, uh, acted wickedly, and we have rebelled. The word rebelled means that we have committed crimes against God. Do you realize that when we sin, we're committing a crime against God? If it's a crime to rob a bank, then it's certainly a crime to rob God of tithes and offerings. If it's a crime of perjury to lie on the witness stand, then it's certainly a crime against God to lie to one another. So when we say we've rebelled, we've say, we're we saying we are criminals in God's kingdom. And we've done it by how? The, the method that we've done all of these things. What is it that has led to all of this sinfulness in life? Here it is, by turning aside, this is a Uh, It's a participial phrase here, and it it gives a description of of how it was done. How, How did God's people sin and do wrong and act wickedly and rebel? And here's the manner that they did it. Here's what led to it, by turning aside from your commandments and rules. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, you have to know what the commandments and rules are. That's first of all. Secondly, you have to saturate your life with prayer, asking God for His power. Thirdly, you have to depend upon the Holy Spirit of God to enable you and empower you. And the moment that your mind releases itself from a dependency upon the Spirit and turns to a dependency upon self, you will turn aside from His commandments and rules every time. So it's a battle. It's a battle. And Daniel makes it clear. And notice this as well. He says that this prayer... Is for a certain group of people. And look in verse 4. He says. Who keeps covenant. And steadfast love. With a certain kind of people. Those who love him. And keep his commandments. Those who love God. And show it. Do you know what Daniel is doing here? He is differentiating. Between national Israel. And the true Israel. You see God's steadfast covenant of love is only with those who love Him and show their loyalty to Him by keeping His commandments that's who this is for do you realize that in the Old Testament what you have is this you have the true followers of the Messiah and they are encased in national Israel Not all of national Israel is Israel. You understand that, right? God had taken that group of people and he made a covenant with that nation because he's going to use that nation to bring into society his word and his Messiah. So God is providentially working through these people in a special way to protect them, to make sure that they're Uh, that they continue to prosper, to make sure that they continue to exist. And so he does that all through the Old Testament. But do not mistake God's work with a nation to be the same as salvation. Within that group of people, there is a remnant. There are people like Daniel and Moses and Aaron and even Samson and others who truly, truly put their faith and trust in the Messiah who's coming. Not the Messiah of their imagination, but the Messiah according to the word of the Lord. You say, well, that sounds kind of strange, but does he not do the same thing today? God has you as a Christian inside a cocoon of protection in this nation. Do you realize that? He is using this nation right now to protect you. This is why he tells us to pray for those in leadership. Why? So that the gospel would not be hindered. And so God continues to work that way. But in no shape, form, or fashion does it mean that every citizen, or even the majority of citizens of the United States of America, are Christians. Most of them can't even spell it. So you see Daniel here is transparency and He's not wanting just salvation from discomfort and distress. Of course he doesn't want those in his life. Who does? Well, nobody wants it. But he's not asking for national liberation here. Do you know what he's asking for? Freedom from sin. Now, it is not that a sinner just confesses sin and then they're saved. Just confessing your sin doesn't make you... Christian you must confess your sin of rebelling against God as a way of life and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior a lot of people confess their sin right (laughs) but they don't confess Christ and then part of his prayer is also the intercession for the Saints in verses 16 through 19 that section you can see him talking about his Lord, according to all your righteous acts, you know these, these things, uh, this is what you, you're doing. Uh, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem, your people, have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, you can underline that, for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. And you can underline that. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. And you can underline that. O my God, because of your city and your people who are called by your name. And you can underline that as well. This intercession here for the saints. But though he's interceding for God's people. I I want you to see what I call the golden keys for effective prayer. Do you want to know what they are? One, God's name is defended. In your praying, is God's honor upheld? Will the answer to this prayer uphold above all things will it uphold his honor how do we know that because Daniel says in verse 17 for your own sake O Lord there's nothing Daniel said over and over we don't have anything to offer here God You, you know we have we have sin that's what we got plenty of it you know us down here God we're sin factor that's what we do so we, we, you know, we're not, it's not based upon our righteousness, Lord. You're the one's righteous. We're, we're living in shame and dishonor. The word shame there, he says it more than once, is to be dishonored. To be looked at as something that's not valuable. And he said, all the people around us look at us as if we're just nothing. Just bubble gum on the bottom of their shoe. We're nothing. But you, oh God, If you let us continue in this condition, we're called by your name. And if we are continued to be treated this way, they're going to disregard you. For the sake of your honor, for your own sake, God. So his name is defended. Again, the city, that your people, they're called by your name, your honor. Your reputation is on the line here. So do something. That's the first golden key to prayer. If you as a Christian can bring yourself outside of your own problems for a moment. And look at your situation and ask how can God be honored here. God, whatever it takes, whatever whatever you want to do in this situation, above all things, may your name be honored. See, here's what that's going to help you do. You've got to go to the hospital. And it's not looking great. And your family prays, and they pray for healing, and they pray, and they pray and pray for healing. And in the end, you're not healed. It's your time to go. And your family leaves, all discouraged, uh, looking at God as if God doesn't answer prayer anymore, looking as if thinking to themselves that God is not interested in helping our family. He helps other people. I read it in God Post. I know He helps people, right? But He's not helping us. Do you know what's missing there? As difficult as it is, they didn't pray themselves back from their own situation so that they could look at the situation and say, Lord, we would prefer healing, you know that. But this is about your name. Whatever you do here, it is for your own sake. It is for the sake of your honor. Lord, above all things, whatever happens, help us to uphold your honor. And God will answer that prayer every time, and He will empower you and enable you to do so. Sometimes tragedy strikes in people's lives, and they are not able to get past their tragedy. And they go from person to person for years, spilling upon that person the tragedy that they have encountered in their life. There are some awful ones out there. The worst one I can think about is losing a child, a young child. That's tragic. It's awful. It's gut-wrenching. It's terrible. I I can't think of anything about it that is pleasant. But what happens in that situation is just this. If the person is able to back themselves out of their own hurt for a moment and ask God to honor His name in that situation, they will begin to see God answering that prayer. If they are unable to do so, they will stay stuck in this mindset of, I have experienced an awful tragedy, I shall never get over it, God has abandoned me, He does not answer prayer, and so I will just process this forever, over and over and over again. Do you see the difference? And if you're not going to come to the place where you can ask God to uphold His honor, then you will process it over and over and over and over and over again. And most of the time, bitterness sets in, low level of faith, anger, uh, emotional distress, unable to steady your emotions, Sometimes you have to, people have to get on medication because they just can't deal with it. Why? Because they can't see it. They can't see anything else. Do you think there wasn't, a large, there wasn't a large number of deaths when the Jews were marched from Israel out to Babylon? Remember, they didn't get to get on a bus. They walked it. Do you think the Babylonians cared if a child just died? Of course not. These people had experienced all kinds of tragedy. Over and over and over again. And what does Daniel say? Whatever we get, we deserve it and more. But here's what we want, God. We know our sin dishonored you. Now then, bring your honor back deliver your people that's the key here's the other key not just God's name being defended when we're praying but God's nature is entreated verse 18 and 19 he just talks about this that Lord we don't present our pleas before you because of our righteousness if you ever come to God in prayer and felt like he owed you I have Lord, I have served you all of these years. Now, this one time, would you? Don't you think you ought to? The rest of you are looking self-righteous, but that's okay. But it's not because of our righteousness, God, but because of your great mercy. See, he's looking to the nature of God now in his praying. He's not looking at himself, what you owe me, God. I've been a prophet here among these pagans and faithfully served you. I didn't even deny your name when I got thrown in the den of lions. They nearly starved me to death on carrot juice and I still served you. He doesn't do any of that. Lord, we don't have anything. It's not our righteousness. That's not the foundation of my praying. The foundation of my praying, my hope is in your great mercy. And so he appeals to the very nature of God. When we in prayer jump off of the unsure footing of our own righteousness and land in the feather bed of God's mercy, then you will see the answer to prayer. Daniel's agonizing intercession, you can see a man here who wrestles with God in prayer. Not to get God to do what he wants God to do, but to bring himself to the place where he is willing to do whatever God wants him to do, his agonizing intercession. But next, here's what happens, Daniel's angelic encounter. Now... Let me just go ahead and say this clearly. We have people in our town who claim to have encounters with angels and have a message from an angel that they need to give everybody else. Let me say something about that baloney. Deranged, deluded, or deceptive, I don't know which one. We have the word of God. And Peter said, what we have is better than what the prophets had. We we are privileged. We are super privileged because we have the finished revelation right here in our hands. Daniel didn't have all this yet. And he is a prophet, an office which does not exist today, by the way. But in his praying, he has an angelic encounter here. And so look in verses 20 through 23. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel... Don't you wish, Dan, quit talking about confessing sin here. And, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift light at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh Daniel, I've now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Now you prophecy buffs are are just saying, hurry up and get to verse 24. I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. Daniel's angelic encounter. Now the angel's arrival to Daniel, the man Gabriel, he said, this angel looks like a man. And he came to me quickly, swift flight, at the time of the evening sacrifice, it would have been about 3 p.m. So while he's praying, God, deliver us. It's time, 70 years almost up, so deliver us from the hand of these people. And let us go back home. And it's not just going home, it's to return to the worship of the Lord as they want to worship Him. And as they've been prescribed to worship Him in the Word of God. And so an angel comes. And so this angel's assurance to Daniel, he made me understand, speaking with me. Now, uh, Daniel used the word vision here, and, and it doesn't mean like, The visions that Nebuchadnezzar has. The word vision here is not the same meaning as that in the other sections here. It just means the revelation of scripture. And so what is it that the angel says that assures him? First of all, there's an announcement of purpose here. Because he says to Daniel, um, he says, I have come... Uh, He came came at at 3 o'clock there, you know, at the evening sacrifice. And and he says, Daniel, I have come now to give you insight and understanding. So the angel's coming to give him some insight and understanding about some things that are getting ready to take place. Now Daniel, get this, Daniel's praying about um, how do we get delivered from uh, the, the Medes and Persians. And God's going to give him something else. So Gabriel's coming, kind of prep him up. Like, you're praying about God's name being honored in your situation. I'm going to show you how it's going to be honored in history. God always gives us more than what we ask for, doesn't he? He does. So there's an announcement of purpose. But here's something that that is sweet here. There's an announcement here, an assurance of, of value. You are greatly loved. Do you think that Daniel might have ever thought, I I hope God loves me. I'm not sure. This has been a rough 69 and a half years. Daniel had seen, been in situations where he didn't know if he was going to live another hour that happened to him repeatedly I mean what do you think like when a new king comes into power what does he do with the staff from the old regime well I mean now they just you know they pack their stuff up in a box and kick them out of the white house but in those days they chop their heads off that way they just make sure those people don't come back and I'm resisting a smart comment I'm not saying it but but, you know, Daniel, he, he, he'd as a kid, he'd been told, you know, bow down. He'd been told, you know, we're going to throw you in the line still. We're going to, you know, you're not going to survive this. And, you know, on and on. If you don't tell us this dream right now, I mean, not just tell you the meaning, but tell us the dream and the meaning. If you don't do it right now, we're going to kill all of you. I mean, Daniel had been through this. And so, do you think he'd ever thought, I wonder if I've kind of sinned away God's affection for me. I mean, I know he still loves me in theory, right? You know, God loves people. And, he, you know, he loves his own and all of that. But I wonder if he just ever thought, you know, I wonder how God really feels about me. And here we have an assurance from this angel. You are not just a little bit loved. You're greatly loved. Greatly. Have you ever thought about that for your own life? You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, what do you think the cross communicates to you? What is God saying? That God demonstrated his own love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That's not a mild measure of love. That is to be greatly loved when you go to him in prayer remember that you are greatly loved it'll help you in your praying now Daniel has this angelic encounter then this insight and I I have six minutes to cover now until Jesus comes this should be relatively easy Listen faster, and we'll get done quicker. Now, here's what this angel says to him, you know, so verse 24, here we go, I can't get it all, okay, so, but we'll get the highlights. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint the most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off (coughs) and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary." Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now then, uh, your assignment is to go home and teach that to your five-year-old. So, well now, let's start here just a little bit, okay? So 70 weeks, it's it's really 77s, and so if you can think about this, um, each week, quote week here, is seven years, so there are 70 periods of seven years, it's how he's counting, so we're looking at four four 490 total years here. Okay, so that's what this entails. Now, uh, there is the is, first of all, the decree of the 70 weeks. Um, what's going to happen, just a, a quick rundown. God will finish the discipline for Israel's transgression. You can see that to finish the transgression. You can see it in verse 24 there. Um Then this overview tells us to put an end to sin. This is speaking of the life of the Messiah. He breaks the power of sin by living the sinless life. Then you see next in verse 24, to atone for iniquity. That's the Messiah's crucifixion. Then, to bring in everlasting righteousness, that's the Messiah's resurrection, his ascension, his return. And then, to anoint the most holy place is going to be, of course, the new Jerusalem. So, he gives you an overview there in verse 24 of all he's going to talk about. Now, let's look at the details of these 70 weeks, verses 25 to 27. The first period of time is seven weeks. Uh, You see that... um, when he says, uh, from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there should be seven weeks. And then also there's going to be 62 weeks. But this decree uh, is going to be given and then to be, rebuild Jerusalem. And that's the first period of seven weeks or 49 years. So there's a command to complete the temple Artaxerxes gives this decree to Ezra in 458 BC to rebuild the temple. Now some people go with the decree to Nehemiah and and so either way it's it's fine. After this uh, an era is going to ensue that will usher in the coming of the anointed one. But the first period of time is that 49 year period of time. The second period of time, in verse 26, you have 62 weeks. And that would be a period of 434 years. So this is the completion of the temple after the 49-year period of time from that point to the commencement of Jesus' ministry, which would be His baptism. So the completion of the temple, if you add 434 years to that, it would be 26 AD and that would be the baptism of Jesus his anointing if you will for ministry so that's that segment of time that's spoken of next now if you will notice there is the one seven week period of time then there's 62 weeks that's only 69 weeks that's not all of the the years so there's another seven-year period of time. There's a week that's missing here. And so what we have is that after the ministry of Jesus, there is an interlude. We are living in... Time has stopped on the weeks for the present time. And we're living in this in-between time until the last week or the last seven years is fulfilled. This is the... As the book of Romans speaks of, the time of the Gentiles... And so what God will do with national Israel, he has more that he's going to do. But saved Israel is the church now. And the church has always existed in the sense that always you had those believers inside of national Israel. So you always had the church in that sense. But there's going to come a time in which the time of the Gentiles is over. And there will be a period of time of great tribulation. But it will also be a time when many Jews will turn to Christ and be saved. Now, those of you, I just want to go ahead and and pick at people. I love it. Those of you that dismiss the truth, the biblical truth of election and you lean more toward the Armenian side, pray tell me how you believe that and yet believe in the time of the Gentiles and the time of the Jews and where right now the Jews are blinded to the gospel. What would you call that? Those of you that just think that, you know, God throws salvation out there in a dog bowl and the people just kind of go for it like pig slop, do you think that's... You will hold to that kind of thinking that every person can believe whenever they get ready. But yet you also will teach that the Jews can't really believe right now. Be consistent. That's all I'm saying. Just be consistent how God works now. Okay, just, just be consistent in it. That's, that's all I'm asking. Okay, so some of you are going to come to me afterwards, red face, please don't do that. You, you, you don't know how much, like, self-control I have to have just to, like, okay, you know, listen. Okay, so uh, here's what we have. So it, the, now is the time of Gentiles. It doesn't mean no Jews can be saved during this period of time. We know that some are, but it's rare. It's extremely rare. Why? Because God's blinded them. Okay, so after this time of the Gentiles is up, then comes the last period of time, the seven years, the final seven years. Now, when is that? It says in verse 26, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. It's talking about Christ, right? But look at this, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Okay, so in 70 AD, when the temple is destroyed, who is it that destroyed it? What people? Romans, right? The Romans did. And so the Bible is telling us here, in the book of Daniel, those people... Are the ones from whom the prince who is to come is going to to be coming out of them? Do you see what I'm saying? So this in in verse uh, in in this verse, verse verse 26. So that prince who is to come later, it is his people that are the ones who. So God is already giving us the hint here of the Antichrist where he's coming from. Okay, so we already know that. Um, its end shall come the flood and to the end there shall be war desolations and so on Um, and then look at this he's going to make a strong covenant with many for one week so this is the rise of the Antichrist and his ability to negotiate with the world and make promises and covenants and treaties with the world to increase his power and for half of the week he should put an end to sacrifice and offering and so he's going to stop worship of the living God for three and a half years. At first, it's going to be all rosy. It's what, what he'll do, he'll play nice, whatever he has to do to get everybody's approval. But then when he has power, his goal is to make himself to be the one to be worshipped, right? And so then, um, on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. And so, uh, we see the rise of the Antichrist, and we see his fall here. So what is the, the end here for the Antichrist? What is, how, how does he fall? What happens? Well, the book of Revelation will tell you that in, in chapter 19, and verse 20. It, it says, uh, And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who uh, in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with sulfur. So that's the desolator going to be made desolate. So then Christ comes, the millennial kingdom. Then we have the final judgment and then the new Jerusalem. So this is, this is the, the end and Daniel's being show, shown this before Christ is even born. And see what God has done for our own comfort and our own encouragement. But there is a point also that we must not miss in the middle of thinking about this. The end for the Antichrist is also the end for all who refuse Christ. If anyone's name's not found written in the book of life, that person's also thrown at the lake of fire, is what the scripture says in Revelation 20. Heaven's real, but so is hell. It's real. And so you can see this is the direction that the world is going. And God has already prophesied. Now, there's more detail that you can get from other places in Scripture. But this is Daniel telling us. And so here's, here's what we learn from this. Here's what we need to take away from it. One, as I said before, we're being given insight to prove to us that God is in control of history. But the other thing we're being given an insight into is this. There are lots of world events that will take place. There are lots of chaos that may ensue. Eventually, there's going to come one who rises to power, as in power for the Antichrist, is in power for every bit of seven years. He's not even in power as long as a two term president. You realize that? For a short period of time. But here's the thing. We know that God is the one who opens hearts to the gospel. Do not make the fatal mistake of saying to yourself, well, when I see it get closer, I'll believe on Jesus. You do not need to make that mistake. That would be fatal to do. If God is working in your heart today to say to you, you need to give your life over to Christ. Then today is that day. Do not harden your heart. Do not make excuses. Be like Daniel. Just be transparent. Lord, we've sinned. I've done wickedly. I've rebelled. I'm a, you know, my, my, my picture is on a wanted poster in heaven for all the crimes I've committed against you. I'm as bad as they come. But I know I have a Savior who's greater. And my faith and trust is in him, what he does for me. That's what you need today.